Well, we continue on in our series of the roads to Jesus, and today we're going to be traveling down the road of trust, the road of trust. Uh, Trust is an interesting concept, isn't it? Trust. Uh, For some of you, you've been uh, exercising that trust as you filled out those brackets for the NCAA tournament, (laughs) and you put your trust in some teams to win some games. And now you just throw that whole bracket in the garbage because they didn't fulfill what's going on. Uh, it's interesting. Going each year, each season comes up. It's like, oh, okay, let's see who's going to maybe win this time. And as far as filling out the brackets to try to figure that out, um, mine was, was broken up, I think, in the, first, the fourth game of the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, I'm done. <laughs> that was my champion. Oh, well. Yeah. And so when you do that, though, you are putting your trust in that team to win. And going through, one guy, apparently from Ohio, one year, I think it was uh, 2019, he predicted the first 49 games correctly of the whole tournament. And there's only 63. And so he, he, and it was incredible. To be able to do that is amazing. Um, But I also read, too, that there are over 70 million people who fill out a bracket and, and do this. At least 70 million brackets are filled out each year and uh, 40 million here in the United States, but uh, it's just crazy. No, no, no wonder they call it March Madness. It, it is crazy. But that, that's trust kind of in general, in a general sense. But what does it mean to trust God? What does it mean to trust God? <clears throat> a television program preceding the Winter Olympics featured blind skiers being trained for slalom skiing. Yes, <laughs> slalom skiing. Now, I don't know if it's uh, short ones or, or the long ones. I, don't, I have no idea, distance ones. But uh, yeah, and they were paired with sighted skiers. The blind skiers were taught on the flats how to make right and left turns. So on the flat, and they're helping them through that, getting the timing. And when that was mastered, they were taken to the slalom slope. <laughs> where their sighted partners skied beside them, shouting, left, right, left, right. As they obeyed the commands, they were able to negotiate the course and cross the finish line, depending solely on the sighted skier's word. Man, that's trust. (laughs) That's trust. They had to overcome their fears and trust their guide. It was their complete trust or catastrophe. Trusting in God means deciding to believe His promises instead of our own fears. When those fears get in our way, uh, we just get our eyes off of off the, the, the one we need to keep them on. And our fears draw us that direction, and we need to realize that Jesus is the one we need to keep our eyes on. And as we focus on Him and His promises, what He has for us, instead of our fears, then we're walking down that road of trust. Someone said, when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. Another suggested, when you come to the end of your rope, remember God is at the other end. He's hanging on. Life sometimes deals harshly with us, doesn't it? You've gone through some storms of life, you've you've walked through some difficulties, And also, too, the same thing happened as well with Naomi and her daughters-in-law in in the Scripture, and that's what we're going to look at here today in Ruth. But Naomi and Ruth prove we can trust God even in the midst of our difficulties. We can trust Him 
even, even though. Believe His promises instead of your fears. Cling to that. Ruth is nestled in, the book of Ruth is nestled in between Judges and 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the first chapter today. And uh, not the whole story, the whole book. If you haven't yet read it, oh, read the book of Ruth. Incredible story. God's grace, mercy, provision. But we're just going to visit chapter 1 just a little bit here. And as we do, I trust that uh, we'll get some insight into this on what it means to trust God in the midst of our difficulties. So the first five verses, I'm going to read here, and you can follow along in, in Scripture there, but um, I hope, I trust that we can realize that we all face the chances and choices of life. We all face chances and choices of life. Uh, follow along with me in verse 1, starting with verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband." Wow! Imagine that. The first few verses of chapter 1 primarily revolve around a woman named Naomi and her hard-pressed life. Things that have come down upon her, difficulties that have hit her hard. But there's a reason the Old Testament book is named after another woman, Ruth. But Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, traveled across the river into the land of Moab because of a destructive famine in the land of Israel. They needed to avoid that, and so they felt, or maybe he felt, that it was good that they'd head over to Moab, and lived there. In spite of all this, Naomi was a blessed woman. She was married, had two male sons who took for themselves two Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth, but then tragedy struck. Struck her family with all three men dead. Now, that probably doesn't hit as hard for you, but if you think about that culture and that time, that was devastating. Your husband's dead. Well, if you had your sons, they could still take care of you. Her sons die 10 years later. Awful situation. She's left alone with no support. In that time and culture, you needed to have a, a male in the family to help and be a leader and do these things. But there was nobody. She didn't have any other kids, any other sons, just those two sons. And living within a culture where women depended upon their husbands and sons for support, Naomi was uh, in dire straits. She was about to endure her greatest personal famine. Have you ever been in a personal famine like Naomi? Some of you might be in that right now. I trust that as we go through this time together, you can gain some encouragement and some wisdom as well, too. 
that God will instruct you through this time that we have here together. If you're going through a personal famine like Naomi right now, just know that God is with you. And He loves you greatly. may not seem like it right now, but He does. He loves you. So much of life hinges on dire circumstances. Think about it. Much of life hinges on dire circumstances. When you come in, in face of situations that seem insurmountable and you don't know how you're going to get through this, life really hinges on those moments. You can become bitter about the whole thing or you can become better. You can draw closer to God or you can get further away and not trust Him hardly at all. Why would I trust a God that causes this pain in my life? If God's a God of love, how come I'm going through these difficulties? But which way will, will your life fall on this hinge? Which way is it going to go? And, and life hinges on those dire circumstances. Like the famine, which uh, uh, Elimelech had no control. It just happened. They had to respond to that. The death of Malon and Killian, uh, they both, so both situations were unexpected. And so they had to deal with it. What were they going to, how were they going to respond to what life was throwing at them? Life has thrown you guys a lot of different things too. Some of them have hit really hard. Some of them have just kind of passed by and grazed you. But the thing is, is that through all those moments, God has been with you. God has been directing, providing, helping. And then also, too, we can probably learn here as well that much of life hangs on deliberate choices. Much of life hangs on deliberate choices. The choices we make basically determine the path we're going. Decisions determine destiny, as I've been told in, in, in my past. Decisions determine destiny. I've voiced that to you guys as well too many times. The choices you make today will determine your future for, for down the road. Like the choice to leave Bethlehem and move to Moab. There's a famine in Israel. Let's move over to Moab. They seem like it's okay over there. Was it really a good choice? Think about it. If you go back in the Old Testament and read a little bit about that, Moabites were not very good people towards Israel. Moab didn't treat uh, them very well. And also, too, Moab's god, Chemosh, uh, Chemosh demanded human sacrifice. Okay, so we're going to leave a place where God is, is, is providing, maybe not, doesn't seem like it is right now with a famine in the land, and we're going to leave that place, cross over the river, and get over into the land where people are sacrificing other people. Um, serving a God that demands that. Uh, being among the people that actually uh, did not treat the Israelites very well. Moab treated them horribly, and you could look at that up in Judges chapter 3, the book just before Ruth. And they didn't even help them, uh, Moabites didn't help them in their travels. And when they wanted to travel through areas, they know you can't come through here. You've got to go around. And they didn't, provide, they didn't help them. They didn't help God's people. 
So the deliberate choice of going to, uh, to Moab, what, really? That was really a good choice. Sometimes we're faced, when we're faced with situations like that, we, we want some wisdom, we want some discernment, we're not sure what we're going to do, uh, and then we make a choice. It's probably pretty familiar that we look back on it, in hindsight, it's like, mm, that probably wasn't a good choice. <laughs> I could have I chosen better. And I'm thinking probably the same thing here. They find themselves in Moab with all this surrounding them. Um, maybe thinking, maybe that wasn't such a good choice. Maybe Naomi's thinking, you know, if we didn't come here, I wouldn't be alone in a place where they don't like my people, in a place where they have treated us awfully, in a place where they, they worship gods that are horrible. And here I am all alone. My husband has died, my two sons are dead, and I have my daughters-in-law. But if we didn't come to this place, maybe things would have been different. Have you ever been there where you get in a situation, you find yourself in, and you're going, well, if I hadn't chosen that, then this wouldn't happen. Most likely, though, what happens is that we go, well, if that person didn't, or if that other situation didn't happen, the, the responsibility usually is not on us. We push it on other people in other situations. And we think, if they hadn't, if they didn't, if they hadn't said. But a lot of the decisions, though, are ours that we make, and we react to situations. Much of life hangs on those deliberate choices. And some, some choices we celebrate, some choices we regret. But we all, have, we all face the chances and choices of life. They come at us in many different ways, and we need to be ready to handle them in a wise way. Another thing we see here in this uh, chapter of Ruth, first chapter, is that regardless of our past, we can make choices about the future. No matter what has gone on before, we can still make choices that will help us to come. Look with me in Ruth chapter 1, verses, we're going to start with verse 6. Go to verse 13, and then we're going to skip a few verses, head over to verse 19. A couple of sections there I want to focus on here. We'll come back to that middle section that we've skipped, but let's look at those first, starting with verse 6. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her, da her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a, a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. 
it is more, better, more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And then skip over to verse 19. So the two women went, out, uh, went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So in this portion of Scripture here, I trust you can see that Naomi chose to return to Bethlehem. We see this. It happens. And there's the adage that uh, when you fly into a thunderstorm, turn 180 degrees and head back to sunshine. Get out of the storm. Get to sunshine. That's what Naomi did here. Heard about the famine um, ending in Israel, and so let's head on back. Let's get back over to there. So life in Moab became unbearable. News that the famine was over prompted her to return back to home and back to family. Be with people who know me, people who can help me and possibly care for me. And she hoped God was opening the door to better days. So she chose to return to Bethlehem in this uh, portion of Scripture. Also, too, Naomi chose to release her daughters-in-law to their own families. Very interesting. You'd think they'd stay together and they'd help each other and, and watch out for each other. But you know, if a man, like, if a man died without children, the law required that the, his brother had to marry the widow to continue the family line. That it would help to be able to have that. the firstborn son then would result as, 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 as considered as the son of that that brother's, the dead brother's child. So the brother would help out and be able to continue the family line that way. Well, this wasn't going to happen. She, Naomi didn't have any other sons, any more sons. She realized it would be unfair to force her daughters-in-law to wait for another son to be born and grow up. All this was very impossible. It was not going to happen. It was not going to be possible for her to be able to care for her daughters-in-law in that way. And also, too, Naomi chose to regard her circumstances in the light of God's providence. She looked at that. Uh, did you know that the Naomi's name means pleasant? means pleasant, but her life could hardly have been characterized as pleasant. She had suffered so much, what she interpreted as her lot in life. It wasn't a lot, but it was her life. And it was a situation where she didn't see any, anything changing. It was what God had allowed to come her way. She didn't want Ruth and Orpah to suffer with her. So send them on their way back to their families. And she said later on in that second portion of Scripture that they could call her Mara because the Almighty had made her life very bitter. And notice carefully that Naomi did not say she she was bitter, but her life became bitter. Bitter circumstances do not necessarily make a bitter life. There are people all around you who have gone through difficulties and situations, and you look at them and you go, man, if that happened to me, I don't know how I'd react. That would be tough to, to, to work through. But you see in their lives that they haven't become bitter, they've become better. 
They've been able to trust God through the situations. They've been able to know that God will provide down the line. Yes, their life may have become bitter. doesn't mean that they have become bitter. And although her circumstances were bitter, we have no evidence that Naomi became a bitter, a bitter person. And like Job, she trusted God through her difficulties. The reader board outside of her church says, in every, des- every desert of grief, God has an oasis of grace. That's what is provided for us. When you go through difficulties, when you have seasons of grief, God provides that oasis of grace in your life to be able to remind you of how much He cares for you and loves you and wants the best for you. That hasn't changed. Your circumstances may have changed. Situations around you change, either you know, as they become worse for you, but God does not change. So as you go through a season of grief and you feel like your life is bitter, it's a choice. You don't have to become bitter but reminded that God provides those moments of grace in your life and that you can walk in them and be energized by them and be sustained by them. Regardless of your past, of our past, we can make choices about the future. So don't give up. Keep moving forward. And then Ruth chose here in verses 14 through 18. We're going to get back to that section. Ruth chose to trust in Naomi's God. Ruth tr- chose to trust in Naomi's God. Follow along with me and begin with verse 14. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and, and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go... I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Ruth rejected her pagan background in Moab. If Naomi had been a cantankerous mother-in-law, Ruth never would have wanted to go with her. Ah, you know what? It might be better over here in this place than with that lady over there. But instead, Ruth saw in her an example of, of godly living in spite of difficult circumstances. Do you know people are watching you? You know, people are taking note of how you deal with circumstances because they've heard that you're a follower of Christ. They've heard that you praise the Lord Jesus. They've heard that you've gone to church or continue going to church. They've heard that you read your Bible. They've heard all these things. And so they're stepping back and they're going, okay, here it comes. How are they going to react? Are they just going to react like everyone else? And Jesus doesn't make a difference? Or are we going to see something amazing? And so they step back and they watch, anticipating how the results are going to come in this. People are watching you because you proclaim Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
And as they're watching you, we need to be reminded of that, that our relationship with Jesus is so important. Not because of people watching you, but because He is important in our life. But as a result of our relationship with Christ and, and, and following Him closely, people may come and realize, hey, there's something different going on here. Normal people would just fold and, and, and just blow away with all this difficulty going on in life. But this person isn't. Why? Why is that? And then through your not only verbal pro- proclamation of being, being a, a follower of, of Jesus, but your actions show it as well. How you respond to difficult situations in your life. Now, I'm not talking about, you no, know, never cry. Crying's for babies. Christians never cry. No, <laughs> no. Christians cry. Definitely. Christians hurt. It's painful. Life is painful. But the difference is we have hope. <laughs> we have hope. We have Jesus as our Savior and Lord, and He's going to take us through these situations. A God who loves us wants the best for us. And here we have Ruth realizing that in Naomi, saying there's something different here. I don't want to go anywhere else. You've got the answers. <laughs> I want to be with you. I want to go with you through this situation because it seems like things, even though it's all chaotic and horrible around you, you seem to be keeping it together, and I want to be with you. There are those people in our life that we need in moments where we're going through life storms, that we just want to stick with them. They can help us through this. It's something to be able to walk through a difficult situation with somebody that knows how to deal with those situations. That seems to be even keeled about stuff. Naomi was that person for Ruth. Saw that example of godly living in spite of difficult circumstances. People are watching you. What kind of vision are you giving people around you of Jesus? And then Ruth resisted the temptation to follow Orpah. Oh, you know, she could have gone back to her mom. Everything would have been back to normal somewhat. She could have found some other person to marry, another man in the household that would be able to take care of her, be able to provide. See, as a widow, Ruth faced poverty. And she was also a foreigner. Going back to Israel, she was a foreigner. That wasn't going to be good. And in Moab, she would likely find a new husband, seems like all the things were pointing that she should have gone back to her mom. Would have been better. And sometimes we look at situations like that and humanly figuring things out and think, well, that, I would have gone that way. It would have been better. In our eyes, we might think that. But in God's design, in His eyes, pretty different. That's why we need to be so connected with God. And when we go through life's difficulties, we are able to figure out how to proceed forward in his steps. And then we see here that Ruth relied on Naomi's God. Ruth relied on Naomi's God. A borrowed faith won't take you far, but it's a good place to begin. (laughs) So Ruth was looking at Naomi thinking, you know what, I like what she's got there, and I'm going to kind of follow along. When someone sees... When someone likes what they see in you and what you do and how you say things and all, and you're, you're going through difficulties, uh, 
in a way where you're calm and you, in situations don't seem to hit you as hard. They want to see that, and they might follow along a little bit, and they might want to know you more. <laughs> and as they do, they're actually beginning to borrow your faith in a way. That's a great place to start in discipleship. Great place to start in saying, hey, you know what? All this you see in me and all that, it's not me. It's Jesus in me. And the same thing can happen for you. And then you have an opportunity to share what that's like. But a borrowed faith, a great place to start. It won't get you far, but a great place to start. Like Moses, um, Ruth chose to identify with the people of God. Ruth wanted to be with those people. She became part of the royal line of David and of Jesus, as we read in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. If you've read through that lineage, it's amazing that you see through there the different people that are part of that. Ruth chose to trust in Naomi's God. So why should we trust God? Why should we? Now, for some of you, it's like, well, what do you mean, why should we trust God? We should. Well, why should we? People like to know why. What's, what's the benefit of this? Well, first of all, He knows, he knows better than we do. He does. God knows everything we're going through at this very moment and everything we will go through in the future. He knows the best way to handle every situation so we get the best possible outcome. And we need to trust, we need to trust Him with that. We need to follow His path, trust that He knows best because He does. God knows best. We need to follow Him. We need to trust Him. We also should trust Him because all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. He knows the desires of your heart. If you trust Him with the things that you, you want most, He will take care of it. He knows what is best for your life. And if you feel like your goals are hard to achieve or even possible, think again. Anything is possible with God. He has your back and will help you through anything. Trust Him. Put your trust in Him. Do that. In Mark chapter 9, Verse 23, Jesus said, if you can, <laughs> what do you mean if you can? Everything is possible for one who believes. And then why should we trust God? Well, He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our trust. Having faith is having trust. And you have to trust with your entire being that God has your back, that He will help you and take care of you. He knows what is best, but to truly embrace what He has planned for you, you have to fully trust. How much do you trust God with your life? Now, we might say, well, yeah, I trust God with my life. Okay, all of it? <laughs> Every aspect of it? Everything coming down the line for you? Those situations that you're anticipating this week? The difficulties coming down? Trust God with those things? Are you trying to cling on to them just a little bit, you know, you want to control a little bit more? And that might be the situation. We want more control of our lives. See, trusting God, giving all over to Him, let Him deal with it, let Him take care of it, let Him call the shots. He's the guide going down that mountain, helping the blind slalom skier, and you got to put your trust in Him. 
knowing that he knows what is right, what is left, what is right, what is left, when to turn and do that. Your whole life needs to be placed in his. He is worthy of our trust. So dig into Scripture. Find out more about who this God is. Find out more about who Jesus is. And acquaint yourselves with the promises of God. See how he dealt with uh, the Israelites and Abraham and how his, uh, his long-suffering and faithfulness to them was great. Get to know the character of God and your joy and willingness to trust in Him will abound. Know more about God. Proverbs 3, familiar portion of Scripture, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways to submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. And then a fourth thing, why should we trust God? Well, He knows what He's doing. <laughs> he knows what He's doing. If we just settle that right now, no matter what kind of difficulties come our way, our trust can grow in Him. God knows exactly what He wants for your life. He has a purpose for you. And He knows every detail of your life, both big and small. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow and the next month and years down the road. He's got everything in His hands. So don't doubt His plan because He knows all and He has a perfect plan for you. So, what can we learn about all of this, about trusting God and difficulties and stuff like that? Well, I think one thing we can consider is that when our situation is at its worst, God comes through to do His best. When you feel like you're just clinging on to that rope and you're at the end of your rope, God is coming through with His best for you. Now, you might not consider the way He's going to do it be the best way, but it is. Because remember, He knows what He's doing, right? You trust Him. Also, too, we can learn that uh, although your, your life story may have some dark chapters, the last chapter has not been written. The last chapter has not been written yet. You still have your life story going on. Yes, whatever you did in the past may have been kind of dark, may have um, caused you to make bad choices. You go on down the road where you didn't want to go down. That's in the past. Leave it there and realize what's before you has not been written yet. There's redemption. God can lead and direct whatever way possible for you. Trust in Him. We can also learn that God has solutions to your problems that have not yet occurred to you. Did you know that? You may not even think of any kind of problems that might be coming down your, your way right now, but God knows, and He's got an answer. And we got to discover what that is and be able to do that. Discover what the answer is, not the problem, but discover what the answer is. And be able to do that Connect yourself with God through Scripture. Have your time with Him, prayer. And as we connect with Him and build that relationship with God, trusting in Him, when the problems come, then we step back and go, okay, God, how are you going to take care of this one? <laughs> Help me maneuver through this, whatever it is. Give me wisdom, sermon, provision. Help me know what to do, what to say. God has solutions to your problems that have not yet occurred to you. Another thing we can learn here as well is to encourage the courage less. <laughs> encourage the courage less. Maybe, you know, you, you're, even if your life is running smoothly for now, you don't have any problems going on, bless you. <laughs> encourage everyone else about that, huh? But you may know someone who is going through a difficult time. 
Don't keep all that to yourself then. Share the encouragement with those around you. Identify that they're going through a difficult time. Don't try to explain it away. But identify, come alongside, hurt with them, walk with them in that way. But show that there's hope. There's hope down the road. This is your opportunity to speak encouragement to those people. And then another thing we can learn probably as well, too, is Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is true. It's very true. Paul's statement in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good, sounds kind of like the ingredients for a cake after they have been mixed together. Some of the ingredients used to make a cake taste good by themselves. Maybe some of you have tried that. Um, other ingredients, such as alum and baking, baking powder or flour, not very palatable <laughs> on, on its own. But uh, they are essential and must be mixed with the good tasting ingredients to produce a delicious final product. God can be trusted to take even the, the bitter experiences of life and blend them together and make them work together for good. God knows which ingredients are needed, and He knows how to mix them to produce the desired results. Trust Him. Trust Him. And it's easy to say in these situations too, why me, Lord? <laughs> why me? Why am I going through this financial, financial situation that it doesn't seem like it's going to end? Why do I need to go through this, this, this relationship that's broken? And every time I, I think about it, I just get anxious. Why? Why me? Why do I have to go through a difficulty of losing a loved one? That road is tough. Why do I need to do this, Lord? It's easy to say, why me, Lord? But have you ever tried saying, why not me, Lord? Because I trust you. Now, you wouldn't want to bring those things upon yourself, of course. But if those things come upon yourself, you've got a God who loves you and wants to help you through those situations and walk with you through those situations. Why not trust Him? Why not trust Him? It requir requires trust to be able to say, why not me, Lord? It requires you to believe God has your best interest at heart, regardless of what circumstances say. And with Job, you can say in Job chapter 23, verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Even in the midst of the most trying times of our lives, God wants us to trust him with our whole heart. Children learning to play baseball are often afraid of the ball when it is their turn at bat. I know about that. I played Little League. I hated batting. Oh, my goodness. I thought I was going to die. The pitcher throwing the ball at me, at me. And the coach saying, get closer to the plate. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's going to hit me. That baseball doesn't feel good when it hits. But the child's instinct is to duck or step out of the, out of the path of the on oncoming ball. Their perception of the situation is that ball is going to hit them. They have to trust when the coach tells them the ball is not going to hit them. They have to let go of their own assessment <laughs> of the whole situation and trust having the wisdom to stand where the coach tells them so they can swing the bat properly and hit the ball. You can't be way off that plate. Because the pitcher pitches on the other side of the plate and a strike, you, you can't reach it. <laughs> you got to get close to the plate so you can hit the ball wherever it's going to be on that, you know, coming across that plate. 
The same way the child has to trust the coach and avoid a natural reaction to what is going on, we have to trust God with every situation in our lives and ask Him the proper way to respond. We want to get away from the plate. We want to get away from the plate because life's storms come our way and we don't want to get hit by them. It hurts. Sometimes God's saying, stand in there. You can take this because I'm with you. You can get through it. I will help you through this. And to help you through this, let me just leave a few reminders from Scripture. If you're going through difficulties, let this just kind of cleanse, cleanse your mind, your heart, and get it focused back on where it needs to be. In Psalm 56, verse 3, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. If you want, you can just write these scriptures down as far as the references and look them up and keep them in your, in your, in your, in your mind throughout the week. Nahum uh, chapter 1, verse 7, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. Psalm 9, verse 10, Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And then Romans 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust God, even in the midst of difficulties, by believing His promises instead of your fears. I'm going to have the team come on up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be led in some songs of trust that will continue to remind you of who this God is that we serve, who loves you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your message. Thank you for your words today. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us put these into practice. Lord, if there's someone here today that is going through these difficult situations, life storms are just coming down hard, Lord, I pray that you'd remind them that you are with them in the storm. You will provide. You will help them go through this situation. You will see them through to the other side. And I pray, Lord, that as we realize that, Lord, that we just continue to hold tightly to your hand. Help us, Lord, as a church family to come around those who are going through difficulties. Lord, that you'd use us to bring your hope and your encouragement to others around us. And as a church family, we would move together as one, encouraging each other along the way. Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. Even in difficult situations. And remind us that you are a good God before these situations came in our lives as well as in them. If you're a God that can be trusted outside of these difficulties, you surely could be a God to be trusted within these difficulties. So, Lord, I pray that we would just cling to you through that time and trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for the example that we see here in Scripture. I pray, Lord, that we would follow that closely. Speak to our hearts, Lord, as we continue on with the service and singing, and that you, again, Lord, would just continue to guide and direct and be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.